Good morning, church family. Today's teaching text comes from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them and in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it all at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I want to thank so many of you for tuning in to our conversation last week with Patrick and I on race and the gospel and the Zoom call that followed. Uh, we acknowledged during both of those last week that uh, we still have a long way to go as a community and as a nation, but it was a, a beautiful Sunday uh, to share together as a church family. And as I said, many of you were able to tune into the broadcast, but uh, also many of you have shared it since, uh, since we put it up last week. Uh, we've actually had uh, more than double our on-demand views for last week's conversation than we've had for any of our other services in quarantine, uh, including Easter. So I think it's just indicative that this is such an important conversation uh, for this moment that we're in for uh, to be a small resource going forward. Uh, as a church family, as a community. So uh, thank you to so many of you for that and uh, encourage you if, you, if you missed last week, to, uh, to go back and watch, to, to share with, with friends and family members as a way to spark conversation and hopefully loving action. Uh, we said uh, several weeks back at the beginning, uh, even before Pentecost, that we were praying that this would be uh, uniquely a season of vision for us as a church this year. Not every year is Pentecost um, a, a church vision series, but um, we, we felt like God was leading us in that direction, especially with all the changes that have already happened in 2020, that we needed a, a, a recentering around our most essential vision as a church family. And that was, of course, without knowing some of what was about to transpire uh, in, in our world. But it, it is so fitting, I think, in a Pentecost vision series, uh, the, the, the literally the time when the Spirit of God began to, to bring the world back together in a new way, um, that we are lifting up the beauty and and. And the dignity and the immense worth of every person who is made in the image of God. This is this is uh, a season where, of course, it's always appropriate, but where, where the, the Pentecost cry, as we say, come Holy Spirit, we also say with God's love deeply reverberating in our hearts that black lives matter uh, because God has said that long before any of us. Uh, and uh, it, it, it is such a is such a cry of the, of the Pentecost spirit. So I wanted to share just a couple of things practically going on in the life of our church uh, in, in this moment. We have assembled a working group, uh, which is uh, you know comprised of a diverse group of leaders uh, within our church family uh, that are are getting together. They have had their first meeting this week to discuss and to discern and to pray uh, together about our way forward as a church family. As as I said, we are committed to stumbling forward in these in these matters. So we're, we're going to be taking very seriously the recommendations of that group, and I invite you to be praying praying for them. Uh, also, uh, I just couldn't be more uh, pumped about our, our summer series. Uh, we, again, have quite a diverse group of men and women who are going to be teaching uh, during our summer series, and I cannot wait for you to hear uh, hear from them. Uh, we're going to be talking about the language of prayer, uh, how we live a life connected to God um, all throughout the summer. So I just want to say there are a lot of beautiful things happening uh, in our world right now, happening in our church right now. We are hoping for lasting change, uh, but we're not just hoping. We're also saying we are willing uh, to be amongst those who will do the hard work to see it happen. Um, and I know with that, you know, there, there may be a suggestion or maybe even sometimes an, even an accusation that these types of changes are just reactionary or these types of changes are just performative. And honestly, um, maybe there's a level of fair critique in both of those uh, things. But I want to suggest instead 
um, that this is, is actually deeply rooted in our theology. This is rooted in our vision of joining God in the renewal of all things. Um, this is rooted in the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of reconciliation uh, in Jesus' name. Uh, th- this is rooted in our gospel anthropology that says all people are made in and carry the image of God. Um, this is, is rooted in, in, the, in the anti-racist implications of the revelation of God's love and grace and mercy. And of course, uh, we'll always be open to the critique that we have fallen short. And we're not trying to rush past that. We have all fallen short of this vision. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we absolutely have to be a community based on and relying on grace. Um, I, you know, we don't rely on grace to, to, to let us off the hook, to make us complacent, uh, to allow us to ignore the areas where we need to grow. Uh, but we rely on grace because we need forgiveness. Uh, we rely on grace because we need the enduring, sustaining energy that grace provides. We need um, grace to have vision, right? To even know, right? We, we, when we confess regularly, we say, God, forgive me for the sins um, that I've committed and the sins that, that, I, that I didn't even know that I've committed, the presumptuous sins, the, the sins of omission. Um, we need great grace to see those and we need grace to grow uh, as we stumble forward. And so, our vision as a church centers around presence, formation, and love. And simply put, we want to be with God. We want to be in God's presence. We we want to become like Jesus, and and we want to to, to live lives of love in action. And uh, those have been crucial aspects of our vision since the beginning. But we, we do believe that uh, at our 10-year anniversary, we were praying and fasting and asking God to speak. And we believe that God prophetically emphasized um, these particular areas of, of our vision as a church for the second decade of our, of our life together. And so um, we, we want to be faithful to that. We, we've, we've, you'll have heard us speaking about this already quite a bit. But we want to use the remaining weeks of this Pentecost series um, to look at a vision of how we can live this out, presence, formation, and love, um, this way of Jesus in, in our current context, in our world, in our church, in, in our nation. And I think this story in Acts 4, it just bears powerful witness uh, to how the presence of God sustained and empowered the life of the early church. I think there's some essential things that we need to learn or, or to be reinforced in our hearts from this story today. Uh, but I saw a funny remark from a fellow pastor in New York City this week uh, about the book of Acts. Rich, Rich Volotis, um from New Life in Queens said, uh, from time to time I hear people say, I want my church to look like the book of Acts. Cool. Get ready for folks dying in church, persecution, racial and ethnic tensions, selling your property, riots, and more. And uh, it just made me uh, smile to see that. Uh, I think we should uh, be inspired by the moments uh, in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit shakes the place where they are praying or, or we see the miracles that they were participating in or, or the way they took care of each other or their radical generosity the way they were moved out in an impetus of love and mission. Uh, but we also need to remember the tensions and challenges, the, the real struggles of their world as well. The gospel, the way of Jesus, has always grown up in contested space. The kingdom of God uh, is always advancing uh, amidst real uh, great resistance. Um, 
So I think that means we're, we're not invited uh, simply to look back at how incredible things were at, the, at this time, but to realize the same Holy Spirit lives in us and to say this Pentecost prayer, come Holy Spirit, lead us to live the way of Jesus, uh, the, the, the power and implications of this gospel in our time amidst our challenges, right on the front lines where, where the, the gospel is being worked out in, in our culture. We can't retreat and say, oh, I prefer to have this conversation over here, uh, we have a calling to move out in love. And I think Acts 4 gives us uh, some blueprints uh, for that type of work. And the first thing I want us to notice is uh, that they sought and relied on the presence of God for their life. The presence of God was the lifeblood of the New Testament church. God's presence shapes their life. And back in Exodus 33, uh, this is one, one of the, the sort of foundational passages for our church's family and life. Moses family famously says to Yahweh, what is going to distinguish your people from the rest uh, of the people in the world if your presence does not go with us? And if you remember the story, this, this moment comes right when God is promising to give Israel victory, to give them possession of the place of promise. But Moses says, no, we need you, your presence must go with us. If your presence doesn't lead us up from here, we do not want to go. And now centuries later in the book of Acts, we have this powerful fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Israel. We have this growing community that is literally filled with the life of God. Peter and John uh, are on their way to worship at the temple, to worship in God's presence with God's people. And they hear uh, the, uh, a cry of need from, from a beggar who, who we come to learn has, has been lame and cannot walk for, for a very long time. And they hear, uh, they hear God even in that, even in that cry of, of the beggar. They see the image of God in, in this man and they offer him God's healing power. Famously, right? Uh, Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you in the, in the and they are a part of participating in God's healing being poured out. And then it's undeniable. This movement is taking place and, and the same powers and authorities that had Jesus arrested for similar reasons arrest Peter and John. And when it comes time for them to give an answer and, and before their accusers, what do we see? Uh, again, they are relying on the presence of God. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. They lift up the name and the person and the power of Jesus. This is what you always see when people are filled with the Holy Spirit is Jesus gets lifted up. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the presence of God, and there's an exalting of Christ. It go, they go on to say, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What did they marvel at? Their courage. But they immediately went to the reality that these men had been with Jesus. 
That's a question that I have for my own heart, for us as a church family. Can people tell that we have been with Jesus? Um, it, I, I think it still takes immense courage to say that salvation is found in, in Jesus and that there isn't some other workaround. Um, honestly, uh, it, it may feel more comfortable. It, it, it may feel even loving to say, ah, listen, there's so many paths to God. How can we possibly know? The humble thing is to say we don't and we're all on the same path up a mountain and who knows how we're going to get to the top, but we're, we're all on, on, on the right path. And we very rarely go back and evaluate just how that feels culturally in a pluralistic world to realize that some of that is is actually just a propped up sophistication that has come from the enlightenment this this sort of pluralism that we think is is absolutely the norm and must be uh, it must therefore be the truest reality of our world um, we, we sort of live with this implicit dominance of an utterly secular framework uh, but the trouble is when you get into the specifics of Jesus life and Jesus death and Jesus resurrection it doesn't really leave very much space for uh, all, all paths are equally you know, good for, for, for seeking God. As a matter of fact, Jesus is not saying to us, or, 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 and those faithful to him are not saying that all paths lead to God. Uh, we're actually saying that because of the brokenness of the world, because of the misleading of the desires of our heart, because how easy it is to substitute ourselves as God in the place of God, actually, it's closer to say all paths lead away from God. And actually, we don't, we don't need a path to get back. We need a person. We need a person to come and embrace us and show us what, what, what God is really like, show us the very character of God, to be the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form, to, to communicate the kingdom, to demonstrate it, to invite us in. And that's what Jesus has done. We, we all go, actually go our own way. Uh, but God has not left us there. That's the gospel. He has come to us. Um, I do want to say this, right? We, we, we need to be honest. I, I, think, I think people benefit greatly from Jesus, from the message of Jesus, from, from the, the love of God, well before they know to call him by name or well before they know Jesus. I'm, I'm not saying the only people who benefit from the life and ministry and mission of Jesus are those who, who, who call on his name for salvation. There is, there is tons of grace pouring out all over our world. But Peter and John are saying there's no one else who has fully shown us who God is. No one else has died to free us from our sins. No one else has been raised to offer us this new life who, who has become the firstborn of this new creation. There is no other Holy Spirit that can fill you other than the Spirit of Christ to give you union with God as family. We, we, we've said this before at Trinity Grace, but um, if the life and death and resurrection of Jesus wasn't really necessary, and it was just one of many possible ways that the world might have been redeemed, then, then there's actually some massive problems with the story. There's um, some senseless cruelty that would call the whole thing into question. Uh, that, that if the cross wasn't necessary, uh, then the whole thing begins to fall apart. But they say there is, there is no other name given under heaven by which we, we, we find salvation, by which God has come to bring us to himself. And so they have courage filled with the Holy Spirit in the face of their judges. And when they're set free, what do we see again? The presence of God. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voice together in prayer to God's sovereign Lord. They said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
And then the final uh, sort of moment, and, and look at the life that flows out of it. After they prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the, the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The presence of God absolutely shaped their lives. At every turn, their instinct was to seek God. At each moment, it was the supply of God's presence and power that sustained and guided them. And I just want to say the same thing is true for us. We will not endure in gospel change without reliance on the presence of God. If we do not have private worship, we will not sustain public action. Uh, We must be a presence-based church, a church that relies on the sustaining power and and, and realized presence of of God. When, When people encounter our lives, the question is, will they note that we have been with Jesus? I also think it's really important to note that uh, the, the presence of God for them was not simply a personal feeling or, or goosebumps or, or even just like a, a sense of inner well-being or religious enthusiasm. The presence of God was the revealed nearness of God. It is the reality-shaping uh, person of, of God made known to us. In fact, uh, we are told that, that God was present. And, and, and I'm sure there were all kinds of things happening, but what, what isn't mentioned? was this person got goosebumps and and this person cried and and this person sang with their hands up or this person felt particularly forgiven. This person prayed in tongues. This this person had a vision for their life. There are other times where those types of things happen. But it's interesting here. I I bet actually these types of things were happening in in this space. But the story helps us remember the presence of God is not just for you and I to have a private personal experience. Those are wonderful. I love those things. I I want goosebumps. I want to cry in the presence of God. I want to lift my hands in worship. I, I, I want to be alone in the park and, and, and reading the scriptures and have a sense that God is drawing near. I want those things. I need those things. But if, if that is the only or primary way that we experience the presence of God, we might be missing something. I want to say we, we are missing something. The presence of God is God revealed to us in a way that we can perceive. So that means uh, that means disruption at times as well as comfort. That, that means conviction uh, as well as peace. Um, that means generosity as well as goosebumps. That means courage in the face of corrupt power as well as singing songs on Sunday morning. That, that, the presence of God. It might lead us at times on a silent retreat. And other times it might lead us to shout that black lives matter in the streets of our neighborhood. Both of those things are things that could be a response to the presence of God in our life. In fact, uh, I want you to see as, 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 we, as we move towards communion this morning, I want you to see the two profound ways that the presence of God impacts this community of Jesus in, in, in Acts 4. 
two things that are right there on the surface for us. You don't have to dig deep into the text to see these. And so I, I want to invite us not to um, you know, f- feel like we're making a, a, a deep exegetical dive right in this moment, but to say, will we receive the challenge that is right on the surface of this text? The presence of God gives boldness, and the presence of God made them radically generous, made them generous in love. So so first, uh, just to note, the Spirit of God and their union with Jesus made them bold. This is stated over and over again in the text. Um, Peter and John were, were first, they were bold to speak healing to this man who had been stuck for decades. Part of the, the, the social stir that, that occurs after this man's healing is that he is a familiar face in this place. He's been sitting outside the temple begging, asking for resources, asking for help for a long, long time. He's sort of like a, a fixture in this place. And so when he's healed, it's kind of undeniable that something miraculous, that God's power has been poured out. And so Peter and John are first, as they're filled with the Spirit, bold uh, to speak healing to this man. It must have felt like this man was in a place where no change was really possible. Um, that the best he could have hoped for was a good day of generosity from his neighbors where, where his needs were met. Um, that, that must have been the most he was possibly expecting. Never would he have imagined that today was going to be the day that he was going to stand up and go into worship with his community. But the Spirit inspires in Peter and John bold faith, courageous faith. And then... Uh, P- Peter and John, uh, th- their boldness is expressed in, in courage. After they're arrested, they're standing before the ruling elites and they give bold testimony about Jesus. And it says, as we've already said, the rulers noted they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Do people know that we have? That's the question. Maybe some of you have, ha- have kind of had enough of raising your hands in worship at church, but never raising your voice for Christ or for Christ's love in your workplace or in your neighborhood or amongst your family. I love what Willie James Jennings says uh, about this boldness and actually the divine joy that, that is pointed to in it. He says, Peter speaks boldly, but this boldness is not the result of character refinement or moral formation. Peter has not become the great man who stares down his enemies with epic courage, the kind that creates an odyssey or a heroic tale. Indeed, there is no such thing as individual boldness for the followers of Jesus. Of course, each disciple can and must be bold, but their boldness is always a together boldness, a joined boldness, a boldness born of intimacy. The modern lie of individualism is most powerful when we imagine that boldness comes from within. It does not. It comes from without, from the Spirit of God. They prayed and God shook the place. Again, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the disciples and they speak, but this speaking is already a joined speaking, a chorus of faith. They speak the Word of God with boldness. This shaking of the Spirit is not simply a sign of power, but of pleasure. God's excitement is evident here. Here and now, God's people are one, calling on the faith and boldness of Jesus to do the divine will. Here and now, the new order confronts the old order, and God sees the unfolding of divine desire in and among God's creatures. This is the Spirit's quivering joy exposed in the impartation of holy power. I I love what he says there. Maybe you think that's an overstatement. Of course, human beings can be bold. Uh, Of course, there's a boldness that, you know, you might have a a person on on a spectrum of of, of courage just naturally in their life. But what we're talking about here is the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit, the boldness that comes from our, our union as sons and daughters in the family of God. And that is the type of boldness that advances the kingdom of God, doesn't just advance our personal interests in the world. I want to say this to you, Trinity Grace Church. 
we can be bold because the presence of God actually is the most important thing and no one can take it from us. We get glimpses of it now, we have experiences of it now, but the presence of God is our now and our forever. It is our inheritance, it is our future. We can be, go- we can be bold because the presence of God, which has changed our hardened hearts, can also change the most hardened hearts in the world. Let us not be the ones who decide what's possible for God based on the screens of our fear. Uh, let, let us not, not be the one who say, this, this change can't happen or, or this thing is impossible. Let us be the ones who say, God, what, whatever seems impossible, would you do it in our midst? We can be bold because it is God's joy to give us courage. And that, I want to say, it is God's joy to give us courage. And that is not always loud, extroverted courage. Sometimes that is quiet, enduring, keep showing up, never giving up, don't quit kind of courage. And I want to say, the, the, the way we will be bold, I, I think, is when we, when we begin and end our day with God. We can be bold because, listen, come on, our world is absolutely crazy. No one knows what they're doing. And God has shown us tremendous love. Let us be bold about that love. Church, I want to say this. The, the presence of God is your inheritance. The presence of God is your inheritance. Don't sell it uh, for some cheap comfort or, or shallow respect from a world that is actually aching for it, even if they don't know to call it by that name. In this story, the presence of God made them bold. And also the presence of God made them generous in love. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. When I hear that, I must confess I have longed for the phenomenon of God's power to shake the place where I was meeting or the house I was in way more than I have longed for the discomfort of making sure there is no one amongst us that has a need. God, may we repent from that. One feels like an affirmation. God's presence is with us. The other requires discomfort. It requires a dying to ourselves. It requires giving up our tangible security for the sake of the other. But look how they go together. The presence shook the house and the generosity and love flowed from their lives into community. Don't get me wrong. I want God to shake the house. <laughs> but, but let it be that it makes us one in heart and mind. There would be no stranger in our midst who goes week after week uh, not being seen, not being spoken to, not being invited out to lunch or into someone's home. That there would be no one in our midst who feels they don't belong because they haven't yet assimilated into a certain type of culture. May God shake the house and may we be one. May God shake the house and we take care of each other's needs even when it means getting into the quick of our lives and our comfort and we're not just giving off the frothy top. We're giving down at the core level where it requires sacrifice. May God shake the house, but may we not simply look to God to meet the needs of our own comfort. 
God's grace was powerfully at work amongst them, and the result was sacrificial, generous love, the tangible meeting of needs. If God's grace and God's presence only makes us sing in church, we have a problem. But I want to say this to you, church, as we close, I am confident that if we seek the presence of God and we obey that God who's, who's, who loves to be revealed to us, who, who shakes with joy to show up in, in our lives, if we seek the presence of God and we obey this God, uh, we, we will bear the fruit of this God's kingdom. That's the promise of the presence that Jesus made to his disciples. This is what he said to this very same Peter and John. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's he saying there? Apart from me, you can do no activities whatsoever. No. Apart from me, you cannot sustain and build and grow the fruit of the kingdom of God, the fruit of reconciliation, of peace, of justice, of forgiveness, of mercy, of truth, uh, 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 of the fruit of the Spirit in our character, in our lives, in our relationships. We have to abide. We have to remain in His love. As we see in Acts 4, we have to have the presence of God shape our very lives, give us boldness, make us generous in love. I want to say as, as, as we, we, we really close, um, please get tangible with this. Please don't leave this in the idea space. Talk with your friends, with, with your family, with, with your, your group uh, in person or on, on Zoom about, about how you actually seek the presence of God uh, or, or maybe how you haven't been and how you want to change. Ha- has God's presence just been a nice personal sensation for you or are you being moved to boldness? Are you being moved to generous love? Is there an outworking of the presence of God and the tangible details? details of your life. Let us be those who respond. Let us be those who obey the Spirit, who say the same Spirit of Pentecost that fell in Jerusalem lives in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. So let's say, come Holy Spirit, lead us, make us a people of presence, formation, and love. And when we say say presence, we're saying we want to do life with God, not simply for God. If you try to do your life for God, you will be exhausted, you will burn out, you will turn away. But we are trying to learn to do life with God. And that is a joy of our God is that He loves to do life with us. Relational, in God's very nature, God pours out relationship. As he heals the world, the kingdom moves along relational lines. Let's pray, Trinity Grace Church. Heavenly Father, come. Pour out your spirit on your people. May it be now as never before in our lives that we live seeking your presence, that we live as a presence-based people, individuals and as a church community, reveling in your presence, seeking your presence knowing that many of us may experience the the manifestation of being in your presence in different ways, and that is good, and that is okay. But may your presence also make us bold and courageous. May your presence make us wildly generous in our love to one another and to our neighbors, to our city, to our world. May you be lifted up in our midst, Jesus. 
We pray the prayer of Pentecost. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.